Welcome to In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate Presbyterian Church. Marriage and parenting are a wonderful blessing and are extremely rewarding, but they're also really hard and can leave us feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and defeated. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to help families see how the gospel injects encouragement, comfort, and hope into the daily grind of our lives, and to remind you that you're never alone in the struggle. There is another In the Fire. Welcome back to In the Fire. My name is Rob Gicking. I am the host and director of Young Family Ministries here at Chapelgate, and I'm joined today by Steve Dalwig, who is our family's pastor. So first off, let's just let's just put the elephant out on the chopping block. What on earth is a family's pastor, Steve? What is a family's pastor? Uh, that's a great that's a great question, Rob. Uh, I would say uh, pastor of family ministries has there's a lot of dynamics to it. One of them is I have the privilege of just overseeing all the ministry we do at Chapelgate um, that involves the family unit, and that's everywhere from uh, marriage to um, uh, babies all the way on up uh, through our our college age students and. Uh, and it's such an important uh, part of uh, of the church. Yeah, I th- I think um, you're 100 percent right. And so what you do, Steve, is like you kind of oversee this whole, uh, you know, like you said, there's a lot of moving parts, but like it, creating an organized, unified sort of movement that helps minister to our yeah. families. But you also work directly with the high school ministry, right? Right. So hands on, I'm very involved with our high school ministry, which is called Breakaway, and uh, I've been involved in student ministry most of my ministry career. Uh, I've been at Chapelgate, and this is my 25th year here at Chapelgate, um, and most of it, one way or the other, has been involved with students. But you can't effectively, I learned over the years, you can't effectively reach a student if you don't try to reach the parents and the home as well, yeah. uh, because it's one unit. And so we have to effectively reach out to families um, as much as we're trying to reach out to students. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about Chapelgate as a whole is we we don't really uh, have that that what's the word I'm looking for, like individualistic ministry approach. It's like all about one person. It's, it, we do, like we see the family unit as a very valuable thing. And so we want to minister to the whole family unit and not just a middle school kid at the expense of the parent or not just a elementary kid at the expense right. of their brother or sister. You know, like we, we really want to have something for the whole family. And so speaking of families, um, one of the questions I get asked all the time is, uh, is is about sex you know specifically you get a lot of you get a lot of questions about sex. a lot of people they just come up and they say you seem like a guy who knows a lot about <laughs> about sex and i go not really but yeah. you know but seriously they do people sure. ask they want to know this how do i have the talk when do i have the talk and uh you know we actually did a a co uh, co-labored family university, which is kind of a quarterly initiative that our family team does um, on this topic. And so I thought maybe you and I could sit down and sort of rehash some of those things. Sure. But let's just start there. Like, okay, I come up to you. When do I have the talk? How do I have the talk with my kid? Help me, Steve. Yeah. So, so right there, I think you, there's an issue with the very question you're asking in and of itself. You know, because we say, when do I have the talk? As if there is just one moment or one conversation or one talk that we have with our students. And what's what's the right age to have that talk um, so that they are well prepared 
um, for puberty, adolescence, and everything that the world is throwing at them. We're going to pack all of that into an hour, uh, maybe throw a little book in there for them to read. Right. And, you know, I've talked to many, both students and families over the years, and, you know, it, 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 it's look, it can look very different, but many students will either say, my parents have never really talked to me about sex. Um, some will say, yeah, we had one talk, you know, you know, dad, you know, took me out on the, in the, on the backyard and we were by our, so we had a conversation or my parents bought me a book and they said, read this. And, and if you have any questions, you're going to ask right, me yeah. questions. So there's a wide range. And, and I think one of the reasons for that is I do think it, it can become sort of an awkward conversation. Parents oh, feel like, you know, this is one area we don't really talk about. I mean, this is the one thing I've protect them from, you know, I don't want, these are the things that we fast forward through in movies or, or we censor out, uh, because, because we don't want them to know that or see that. And then we, we just feel uncomfortable beginning begin to talk about these kinds of things. And sometimes it's because the parents themselves have not had any experience, uh, in their own past, uh, with learning about this as well. Yeah. I, I, that is so, Spot on. I mean, I, I remember uh, in middle school, and, I, and I'll, I'll share with our listeners, I was at a private Christian middle school, um, and I remember hearing the word masturbation mm. at the lunch table. And right. I had never heard this word before. It's a very funny sounding word if you have no context for it. And I yeah. just remember like everybody at the table laughed, and I just laughed along. Because I was just like, I don't know, that's a goofy word, you know, flipperadaloo, you know, like that's right. a funny word too. And they were, they, you know, it became very quickly apparent to my classmates right. that I had no clue what they were talking about. Well, guess who taught me about it then? My classmates. Right. And so there's right. a sense and it's like, man, I, as a dad, I'm like, I get so nervous because I'm like, okay, I totally get why at the age of 11, maybe I hadn't, my parents hadn't talked to me about that. On the flip side, if we don't talk to our kids someone else is going to. And as you and I know, like this world is not shy about teaching our kids uh, about their ideas about sex and and gender and things like that. So I I love, even from the get-go, you're saying basically don't have the talk, have an ongoing conversation with your kids. So what does that look like? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think as we think about our role as, as parents, um, one of our roles is how, how from, from really from the time that our, our children are born, we have a job to do. And that job is to prepare that child one day to be an adult, um, to be able to, um, to leave their dependence on us as parents um, and uh, begin to start their own life one day, hopefully with their own family and their own children. And how are we going to disciple them into that, um, into that place? And so I really believe we shouldn't think about this as a, as a one-time-off talk, but really as an ongoing conversation that actually begins as early as that child has the ability to begin to understand uh, human language. Okay. okay. So even, you know, an 18-month-old uh, can begin to understand basic sex education as we're talking to them just telling them, hey, God made you. God made you to be a beautiful boy, a beautiful girl. He gave you these amazing body parts that do amazing things. And you can tell them and teach them their anatomy and call them using the proper words for what they are. And even as they're young little children, you're talking about how one day um, God will bring 
um, either a woman or a man into their life, depending on who they are, that you'll have a, a husband or a wife like mommy and daddy do, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and that you're, you're teaching them a biblical, orthodox perspective on sexuality and marriage, even if it's just through simple affirmations. Right. And even there, as you're teaching them, like you just use the word orthodox, what does that mean? It means it's, it's, it's from God, you know, like right. we, we are not, uh, you know, we're not resting on our human reason in a different way than, than our culture is resting on their human reason. We're actually saying like, Hey, this is beyond human reason. This is God designed. This is God implemented and ordained that you are a little boy or you are a little girl. And, and so we're teaching this biblical sexual ethic from a very young age, like you said, by just affirming what is real in their lives. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's so, right. so another thing you mentioned here is, you know, it's ongoing conversation. So who, who's initiating this? Well, I think mostly it's going to be it's going to be parents that'll be initiating it. But I think as parents, we need to be prepared that sometimes we want to create such a comfortable relationship with our students, our students, really our kids. I'm just talking about teenagers. We want to create such a comfortable relationship with our children that they feel safe in asking us questions. Right. That at any point they can say, "Hey, I heard this word at school. What does that mean?" Uh, that they are are not afraid to to bring up things that are confusing to them. Um, they could see something in a TV show, a movie, on a billboard, in a magazine, on, wherever it might be that they see something that they could actually initiate. And I think part of our job as parents is to always be ready to enter into that conversation. We always want it to be on our programming and say, okay, well, Thursdays at 7 p.m. we're going to meet and talk and have some sex talk with right. our kids. But that's not life. I mean, and sometimes... We have to be prepared uh, when they have questions and just be ready to, to give them our attention and to, and to engage with them and dialogue with them. Yeah, I, it, that's so true. I mean, I did, as you know, youth ministry for a number of years. Right. And, and, you know, even in those weeks where it was like I had prepared to talk about this with the middle school kids, you know, you send out an email to the parents. You say, hey, you know, this Thursday we're talking about what the Bible has to teach us about being a man or a woman and the relationship that you engage in in marriage. And, you know, you sort of give them the heads up, you get there, you go through the lesson, any questions is like silent, you know, yeah. like no one's supposed to be like, what about, you know, like, no, nobody asks. But a couple of weeks later, we're in the middle of a dodgeball game. You know, we go to get a water break and someone says, you know, well, what, what about my friend who's, who says he's gay? You know, what, and that's when it comes up, right? It's, so I, I agree. I think that's good advice for our families that, yeah, we are going to be the primary initiative taker in these conversations, but we also need to be ready for the fact that, you know, it could be 930 at night and your child is, is just laying awake in bed, curious about their body or curious exactly. about, like you said, a commercial they saw. And they may, that may be when they want to ask and, you know, having that sort of tender, kind, but um, prepared uh, you know, attitude towards your child makes a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and as parents, we, we have to understand, we have to be talking to them about this uh, because if we're not, the culture will, somebody else is going to talk to them about it. Right. Do we want it to be their friends? Do we want it to be the media? Do we want it to be to the culture? Because they definitely have something to say. They have uh, an agenda, so to speak. And much of what the world's values are right now on the ethics of sexuality do not line up with a biblical view of sexuality. Right. And I believe that as parents, if we can really begin to teach our kids from the youngest of ages 
how God has designed it, when they encounter the world's message, it's going to ring up false to them, or at least it will, will, a flag will go up and they'll say, wait a minute, this isn't what I've learned at home. This isn't what I've heard at church. This doesn't fit. And it could become hopefully another source of conversation. Yeah. And, and again, like even as we're talking about this, there, there does seem to be this, this juxtaposition of the, the dangerous world and like the safe haven Christian home. And, and listen, that's true. But as we think about how to have these conversations with our children, I'm not necessarily preparing my child to go be like a, a, a warrior on the field of logic and, and crush down the enemy's no. lies. Like, I want my child to know what God says about sex, what God says about their body and their gender and relationships, because if, if they don't know, then it's a blank page. And, right. and like you're saying, it's like, Whoever gets the pencil first starts to write on that blank page. And so when you when you take the first step of teaching your child, there is a framework where they, they now hear these other things coming in from social media, from TV, from society, and they're going, yeah, that doesn't check out with what my mom and dad told me the Bible says. So now, like you say, my, my first response might actually be, let me go ask my parents about this. Right. Right. And, you know, I... Even me, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just watching some TV and more and more, you'll see more and more gay couples on commercials. Yep. There's a lot more representation there. And there's, there seems to be more of that in, in TV shows. And, and those messages are coming in and they're coming in, I think, much more s- subtly than, um, than sort of overtly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if, if a parent has not been there to help your kids understand how that doesn't line up with the scripture, they're going to take that and assume that's normal. Right. And that's acceptable. That is what's okay for us. Right. And of course, part of that discipling is it also means how we have to teach our kids how not to um, become overtly judgmental, how we can love people like that. You know, there, I'm sure that, that, Maybe in a lot of our families we're talking to, there might be a family member uh, in the LGT, uh, yeah, absolutely, LBGTQ community, and um, and what does it look like? Because we want to love them, and that even and that's even more of a reason we have to begin to talk to them about it, right? You know, um, I remember growing up, I had an uncle uh, who was gay, and uh, and at the at the right age, I felt like my parents explained it to me, and. Uh, and I, but I loved my uncle Mike, and sure. uh, I really enjoyed the relationship I had with him. I was sad that uh, uh, he wasn't a believer, mm-hmm. and I remember later just being sad for him that uh, that he had chosen that lifestyle. Uh, but I'm also thankful that I had a relationship with him, and yeah. that my parents didn't uh, treat him in an unloving or unkind way. So as you think about starting these conversations, uh, it sounds like you would actually probably argue that, that they should start younger than, than many of us might think. So you mentioned, yeah. you know, starting even with your young children, um, affirming God's design for them and their bodies and their gender. Walk me through a little bit. Walk us through how you would begin having those conversations and how those conversations might look different depending on the age or maturity of my, of my child. Right. Well, obviously... Um, the younger they are, the concepts they can understand are, are much more simple. They're much more concrete. Um, 
you know, it's not until they become middle school, high school, where they can think a little bit more abstractly about things. And so things that you teach when they're really young and little have to be just really simple concepts that become easy for them to understand and are very reinforceable. So I can reinforce this with them over and over again. And sometimes it really is the same conversation you're having with them at all these ages, but you're, you're able to add more, uh, you're able to add more depth, more details, more nuances to help them more fully understand it because they are also now beginning to understand more the world that they're living in and seeing, uh, seeing where all this comes into play for them. Right. So as they're in school, as they begin to, to hear more of these messages, they meet friends, uh, who are struggling with their uh, either their their sexuality, their gender identity, um, when they begin middle school and high school, and seeing and hearing their friends talking about sexually what they're doing with their boyfriends and girlfriends right. and all of those things, uh, all of those things they need to be prepared for and be ready for. So you know when they're when they're really little, we want to like I said earlier, we want to just reaffirm anatomy and help them to understand how God made boys and girls differently. He gave them different body parts um, and that those body parts serve amazing functions, both for right. reproduction, but also um, for a really special way that God created mommies and daddies to come together and, and enjoy one another in a really special way. They don't need to know exactly how sex works at, right. that, little, at that age, but I think they need to understand that, um, your anatomy is far more than just reproductive tools. Um, it's also part of a way in which God has designed us and designed marriage um, to be an expression of intimacy, reflecting the intimacy we have with God. Yeah. And so it's a really, I think, an awesome opportunity to reinforce that. Um, but also when they're really little is when you begin to also reinforce the idea that, you know, uh, that Nobody should be looking at your body parts. No one should ever be touching you, especially touching any of your genitals, but touching you in any way that makes you feel inappropriate. Um, we can begin talking to our, our kids about that. So we're, we're, we're beginning to frame that so we're actually protecting them as well. So a second ago you used the, the word genitals. And so my question actually is, is now, as you're talking even to, let's say, a five-year-old, uh, about their body parts, would you prefer? Do you think there's wisdom in using, um, you know, sort of made up words, hoo ha, and yeah, stuff right. like that, or do you do you really think, you know, can that almost serve to bring shame? Like, oh, I can't even say that word. Exactly, I I think so. I think, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's it's it's, you know, I, I think it's okay to talk about those other words people have for them, right? Because they do, and that helps them understand. But I, I think it's important to teach kids what they are supposed to be called. And I think as parents, we have to not be afraid to you. If we look uncomfortable talking about it, they're going to know this is an uncomfortable right. subject. So yeah, we should be able to say, this is a penis. This is a vagina. Right. Um, and this is, you know, these are the differences that, that they serve. You I'm, know? And I'm now curious if this, if this podcast is going to get flagged as explicit. That's right. <laughs> I should have warned everyone, you know, <laughs> M for mature M podcast mature. coming up as we talk about God's design for your body and sex. But yeah, I agree, Steve. I think that's really valuable. You know, we, we, we can't expect our kids to be comfortable with the conversation if we're not comfortable. Now, how do we get there? Well, that's, that's where prayer comes in, obviously, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, cause I it is, it's just, it is, it is uncomfortable. I, it, 
And I think, yeah, some of it is just kind of owning up to that, that it does feel uncomfortable. But here's where it becomes more comfortable when you start when they're young and you're used to it. Mm -hmm. So if it's a conversation you've been having and you've been talking about, you're going to get more comfortable with it. And so then when they are getting older into upper elementary school, middle school, high school age, it is not as awkward as if you've never really talked about it. uh, And then all all of a sudden you're supposed to begin to talk to them. about all these things you're like well we've never really talked about this before right then it gets really awkward that's why we like having a book oh read this book and ask me if you have any questions yeah so so keep keep going you know we're we're talking to our young kids now maybe we're talking to i don't know just pre-middle school or or something like that How, how does the conversation start to change um yeah i think as they get older is when we have to begin to talk a little bit more about uh, where we can begin to talk about sex in terms of how sex works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, because the, the big, que- like what, one of the big questions you'll always hear is from kids, like where do babies come from? Right. Right. And, and it's always like, well, well, how do we, how do we, how do we answer that one? And I always say, you need to answer it with the truth. You know, don't tell them the stork delivers babies. Um, don't say, you know, magically something appears in mommy's tummy. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, we told one of our kids that uh, when they were little that, that um, you know, that, you know, you grew in mommy's tummy, but then you come out, you were born out her bottom. That's the word we use. We right. come out your bottom. And, and he just had this horrified look on his face because you mean... You mean she pooped me out? Right, right. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Yes. And so that's I see where, how you got there. That's right. not what I meant. That's not yeah. what we meant. And yeah. when we say bottom, what we should be telling them is, you know, they'll be born through the vaginal canal. Right. That, that there's, a, there's a pathway from the womb through the vagina into the world where they are born. Um, and, and obviously, that's probably too much information for younger elementary and preschool, yeah, but yeah. you're still a, there's still a way you can talk to them about it. That isn't, that isn't necessarily lying. I mean, you can say, Hey, like I said, God has designed a special way that mommies and daddies come together using, um, their, their body parts. And, um, and mommy has an egg and, and daddy has a seed and that seed that he plants is called, um, a, a sperm. Right. And that, they come together in mommy's womb and it forms a baby. And then when the time is right, the baby is born through the mommy's vagina, you know, and it's just, it's just being, it's just telling them the process in a very simple way that they can begin to understand. But as they get older, you're going to want to explain more, more of them to Yeah, them. more detail. But another, you know, but then as they get older, other, there's other things that, that I think become really important to begin to talk to, talk to them about as well. Masturbation, for instance, right. is one of those things. Um, you'll even find little kids who kind of become obsessed with their genitals. And I often, I don't necessarily always want to assume that that's sexual in nature. Sometimes that's just curiosity or can become some kind of times a uh, sort of a comfort right. uh, thing that they learn to do, kind of like sucking your thumb. Yeah, exactly. And we don't want to overreact to that. But we do want to begin to talk about masturbation uh, with our kids. And that also includes our girls. Sometimes we think masturbation is only for boys. But, you know, just like, same thing I would say with porn. We think porn is only something that boys struggle with. Well, I'll tell you what, today, girls struggle almost as much with pornography because of how much um, uh, 
sexual natured material exists online and on yeah. the internet. So, uh, so I think that's a conversation that you need to have and begin to talk about with them as well. So it sounds to me like the the unifying theme here is is really education. We're we're teaching our kids uh, about themselves and and about what the Bible says about their bodies and God's design for sex. And so, I mean, simply put, we probably should have done this at the beginning. You know, the Bible teaches that God created them, man and woman. We do believe that that your gender is tied to your your sex, your genitalia, yeah. um, and that that sex, the act of sex, is to be uh, appreciated and practiced only in the the covenant of marriage right like it's right. it's specifically designed for that relationship and yeah as you mentioned earlier it is a picture of you know the unity that that god has w- both with himself and also with the church right the, the the husband lays down his his life for the wife right and this is a mystery but i'm talking about christ in the church right paul says and so we do um you know, we, we want to make sure that as we talk to our kids, we're not just, like I said, we're not just teaching them our thinking, right? This right. is not just Steve's thoughts or, or Rob's thoughts on, on sex or gender. It, this is God's design. And um, so when we experience brokenness in that, here's where I think it really makes, and I think you said this at our family university, and I want to just highlight, it becomes really important. Because if it's God's design, then when I find myself out of accord with that, I actually have a rubric and a framework for what to do. That's right. I need to start going to God with that, right? So when yeah. I find myself and I'm 13 and I just looked at pornography for the first time and I had a terrible encounter, does my, you know, do I know, well, yeah, I just did something that was outside of the boundaries of God's great design. And I also know God is good and he is loving. He died for my sins. So I can go to him and confess that. Right. That's right. Or is it so deeply, overwhelmingly shameful? You know, it's like, if again, is it just logic? Well, that felt pretty good. I don't know. It's just, it's a very confusing it's area. It's hard. And even in the context of conversation, it's still going to be hard and complex. And, you know, but, but the thing about it is, I don't want to just, taking pornography, for instance, I don't want to just tell my kids that looking at pornography is bad. And when you do it, you should feel guilty about it. I want to talk to them about why it's bad. Right. What makes it bad? And God, it isn't just because God wants you to be miserable and not enjoy fun things, but there's, there are, you know, it's about God's design for sex, God's design, the, the place for sex, uh, for, for nakedness and intimacy is in the context of marriage. Um, you know, what the Bible says about lust, you know, you begin to say, if I lust after a, uh, a woman, I'm committed adultery in my own heart. I'm lusting for somebody else's potential wife or woman that isn't and 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 even the fantasy aspect of that right. i'm even lusting after a fantasy that isn't even real right um and uh, and the way um you especially and how it degrades women or it objectifies it, women it degrades sex as a whole right sex i mean as a whole that was that's something that i think we we did talk about and i and i was very appreciative of that both in our first family university and the second this idea that when we when we start behaving outside the bounds of God's design for sex and we begin to call acceptable what God calls filthy and, and wrong, we, right. we begin to break down actually the true joy, beauty, and magnificence of the gift that God Amen. gave us in the That's first so place. True. So when, when right. I'm talking to my child, you know, I, yeah, it is wrong. But, and, and you know what? And science is coming out and there's all kinds of, I mean, there's, there's erectile dysfunction happening in, in 
guys as young as 23, 24 because of overusage of pornography. You know, overusage. You shouldn't use it at all. Right. You know, but like here's the right. reality is we, we see the data's coming out and we know about the neuropathways that happen when the dopamine rush hits and, you know, it's easier to do it. It's now a craving, like an addiction. It actually works like a drug. That's all true. That's all good. But at the end of the day, I think the real captivating thing here, God's design for sex is better. That's that's right. Right? I mean that's, and that's the and that and that and that has to captivate everything we do. So it's it's more than just educational. Yeah. We can give them we can give them sex ed and we should and we should be teaching them that. But we want to teach them that God's design is actually awesome. It's amazing. Right. It is it is it is going to always be the best because he wants what's best for us. Sex will always be its best in the framework of, of a biblical marriage. Yeah. Amen. And it can come to its fruition. And not only that, it's, it's a way that God is honored and glorified. I mean, sex in a weird way becomes worshipful right? when it's done in the context God created it for. Right. And anytime you're doing it outside of it, you, you cheapen that you say, that's not where it is. And, and almost, you know, all of the dysfunction you talk about is, can be rooted in the, in the places where we have taken God's design for sex outside of marriage. We've put it into the places it shouldn't be. And we see the ill effects it has on people, individuals, society as a whole. Right. Um, and so it's absolutely important, but you know, that's always the thing we need to, to teach our kids about God's commands, that, that God's commandments are there not only to, to protect us, but they're there to really provide for us mm -hmm. and give us the best life. I mean, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have life to the full. Well, that includes your sexual life as Amen. well. Amen. Um, and, and so I, I think that's part of it. And so the other part that we also have to remind our kids is they're going to fail at some point. Yes. And we need to also, not only do we as parents need to be there for them, to encourage them to do the right thing, but realize they're going to blow it. They're going to make mistakes. How are we going to respond? I think we have to respond with the same grace and forgiveness that God has given to us. Because it will be, it's, it's, our children, I believe, will respond better to their failures when they know there's grace for them rather than they think they've just blown it and God wants nothing to do them if they know that they've lost, if they think somehow they've disappointed us as parents. Sometimes they'll blow it and say, well, screw it now. I might as well just go live right. and do whatever I have because I've blown it. You know, kid says, I, oh, shoot, I had sex outside of marriage. Well, oh, well. Right. Might as well just go out and just keep doing it. But the truth is there's forgiveness for them. There's heart renewal for them. Mm -hmm. And when they know that, they can pick themselves up and go after God's right ethic of, of sex and marriage. Right. And that's and not to say that fulfillment. That's not to say there's not consequences, but right. you know, the the previous two episodes for season two, we had Dr. Paul Koistra, you know, and he he said it in both episodes, and I, I found it very intriguing. You know, Jesus doesn't just redeem the individual; he redeems the family, and really, we believe Jesus redeems the whole life, right? The whole life. Right. And so, when your kids do make a mistake, that's where the gospel, right? Like the good news that Jesus Christ covers sins, redeems sinners, and establishes them yeah. as righteous and good, that they're a new creation. That's just as true before that sin as after that sin. And, you know, that's, that's incredible, and it's really important. So in that vein, one of the things that 
um, you mentioned in our family university, I want to make sure we take time for here today is as parents, it's often really tempting to want to protect our children, right? right? We want to put up, we want to put up the walls and the security measures to protect our children from, uh, you know, the, the, the negative messages of the world or from temptation or whatever. But you and Tanya actually laid out, I think, a better way, which was to prepare our children Correct. for the road ahead. So, so talk a little bit about the difference between protection and, and preparation. Yeah, I mean the protection mindset is 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 and it's a natural one as parents. I think it's good. I think you know we want to protect our we want to protect our kids uh, from being harmed, from being hurt, from harmful influences. And I and I do think all of those things are good. I think all of those things are are extremely important. And as parents, we should uh, we should care about protecting. But um, but it's got to be more than protecting. Because like I said at the very beginning, our job as parents really are to prepare our kids. Um, we want to teach them how to um, discern for themselves, how to navigate all of the cultural messages they receive, how that they are going to live one day as, uh, as Christ-following but independent-thinking adults. Um, that, and so we are trying to prepare them for the world that they're going to enter into. My mindset is protection. My mindset is, is we're not going to let this get to you, and you're going to put up whatever walls to make sure none of this gets to you. Well, good luck trying to do that. Yeah, I was going to say, and so then, then what happens? Like, let's say I, I take that sort of uh, protection, hypervigilant, you know, parenting model with my kids. What's the downside? Like, where does that eventually break down? Well, first of all, there's a, I think there's a lot of downsides to that. One, oftentimes when our, when our mode is just to protect, we're not helping our students and teach them and give them the information for them to, to understand and learn why what we're telling them is wrong. Um, we're just simply telling them it is. Don't mm -hmm. do this. Don't go there. Don't watch this. Don't see this. Don't look at this. Um, so we're not preparing them uh, to interact with that. Uh, but the other thing we're setting ourselves up for is massive amounts of disappointment uh, and failure because we can't protect them from everything. Right. I mean, unless you literally are going to uh, keep your kids inside a closed box um, for the rest of their lives, you're not going to be able to do it. Right. And the worst thing you can do is let them walk out of your house when they're 18 years old and they've gone all the way through high school and you've protected them from everything. And then you're sending them off to a secular college or university where they're going to be hit by everything. Yep. And they're not going to know at all what to do with that. Yeah. I think this is, this is really good. Uh, because it, it, I can't help but think as you're talking about like the Sermon on the Mount, right? You know, if if one if if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right. Well, well, here's the interesting thing, right? When it comes to sin, I can be blind and limbless. Yes. But what's the problem? Me, I'm yeah, still right. gonna find it's a way me. to yeah. sin, right? Like, and so I think as parents, we can easily fall into this this very alluring trap of like, I'm gonna protect my kid from the sin, as if the sin is actually out there, and right. it is. There's wisdom in protecting. Like, you should, right? And we've talked about this in the past. You should monitor what your children are looking yes. at. You should monitor the usage of things like social media and phones, because there's a lot of danger out there, and you need to use discretion. It is your job as the parent to to provide and protect for your child 100%. but you also have to prepare them 
you can expect a kid who's never, you know, had to think through a sexual ethic on their own to now be exposed to the world as a blank page, right? We talked about that. The world's going to graffiti all over that thing. Right. So we got to prepare our kids to know the difference between right and wrong as it comes to God's design for yeah. sex. The other problem with the protection mentality is it is is there's a philosophy behind that that says the evil is out there and the good is in here. Exactly. So I think as a parent, I can put a bubble around my, my kids. And as long as I keep the evil out there, then only good is going to happen inside the bubble. But what we forget is there is a, um, there's a sinful, wicked, depraved, fallen heart that exists inside our children that is now inside that bubble. And if we don't remember that, then we're going to be in shock and awe that something has happened inside the, we're like, where did this come from? Well, we forget that, that the sin and the desire to sin and the nature comes from our own hearts. Yeah. Evil is out there, but it's also in here. Yep. And so part of preparing them is helping them recognize that and saying, how do I, how do I battle my own heart? How do I battle my own desires? How do I wrestle with my own sense of what's right and wrong as I encounter what the world is offering me as well? Yeah. And so as we come to a close now, I, I just want to kind of review. Uh, there's, there's really three points. I think three main points we want to make sure people take away. The first is, you know, is it, and when we think about when to have the talk, how to have the talk, we, we, we're going to just say no. We're having conversation and it's ongoing. It starts early. It continues on through their life. That's right. Uh, the second thing is is we do protect, but we also prepare. Right. We want to be parents who are preparing our children, uh, you know, how to think about sex, gender, and, and their bodies and what is appropriate and good and wholesome according to God. And then the last thing, and we, we touched on this, and I want to end here. Our response as parents when our kids fail has to be the same response Jesus has for us. Yep. And so that's grace. That's the grace and mercy of the gospel. Um, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, the purity movement was a huge thing, right? This this big kind of nation-sweeping uh, movement that really did, and you kind of alluded to this, it's like it, it centered around your virginity, right? That your virginity was the ultimate staple of purity sexually, and the second you lost your virginity, you were dirty and irreparable. And, and uh, I think it's Matt Chandler has this really cool um, sermon about this. And it's in the purity movement, they literally, they'd have these huge conferences, purity con, right. you know, and right. it's like, you know, thousands and thousands of high school kids would be packed into this, this arena. And, you know, the speaker would pass around like a flower or like a, a piece of chewing gum, you know, yes, yes. and, and the flower would go around and he'd say, you know, T take a look at the flower, smell it, touch it, you know, rub, rub your fingers over it. Like really take it in, take in the flower. And then like 30 minutes of the talk, he'd go, where's that flower? You know, like 15 rows in the back after like 800 kids have, have, you know, manhandled this rose, he lifts it up. Well, it's, it's disgusting. It's the petals have fallen off. The stem is snapped, yes. the, you know, the leaves all torn up. And he goes, who would want this? You know, and, and that kind of mentality, that kind of teaching is extremely harmful. And Matt Chandler hits it on the head. He says, you know who wants that rose? Jesus. Oh, 
so good. And you're like, man, that is really, really That's good. Right. That's the gospel, right? Because it doesn't matter if you yourself as a parent have sinned sexually and you're, you're dealing with the shame of that. Like, how can I tell my kid to do the thing that I didn't as a, as a kid? Well, guess what? That's the gospel. When your kid fails, how do you treat him? With the gospel. Hey, God doesn't love you any less post your mistake, post your sin than he did pre, because it wasn't about your obedience. It's about his. Right. It's about his faithfulness, not yours. And so as parents, we need to be careful, careful, careful that when our kids come to us in that brokenness, that sinfulness, are we a living representation of the unending love of God who calls sin, sin, but right. loves the sinner's sin? That's so good, Rob. And I, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I could... I could even emphasize it or, or just say it any better. But if we want a relationship with our kids, where especially when they're middle school, high school, or even adults, and we want to be a safe person that they're willing to come to, if they, are gonna, if they think they'll come to us and receive messages of disappointment and condemnation, they will not come to you. Mm -hmm. They won't. Why would they want to do that? But if they know they can come to us, and, 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 and be heard, be listened to, again, most likely they know they blew it. Sure. They don't need you to tell them again how that was wrong. Maybe sometimes they do. But what they also need to hear is that uh, there is grace for sinners. Mm-hmm like them, just like there's a grace for a big sinner like me. And I, and I do think it's interesting how we talk about, we tend to want to talk about purity only when we talk about sexuality. I wouldn't say now go out and live the pure life because we know we live sinful lives. Yep. Just like we're not going to, you know, if, 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 if our, if our goal is to align our sexual lives with the plan that God has for sex, that's, that's, that's the ideal. That's what we need to be doing. We want to live our lives in line with the Creator's life. That's the way God has called us in all areas, including sex. But the reality is, as a sinner, I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm glad there is grace for sinners like me. Amen. Thanks again for listening to In the Fire. If you need anything, please reach out. My contact information is below. And on behalf of our entire church, we would love to minister to you in any way that we can. You'll also notice in the show notes of, of every single episode, we take some time to put a few resources, some books and other things that we think might be helpful if you want to just learn more. So please check those out. And as always, please know we're praying for you and we're so glad uh, that you're here with us at Chapelgate. Take care.